to what we had sort of started on our midweek Zoom service this past Wednesday. We started talking about the book of Ephesians. And that's really exciting for me. We're going to be in this series for a while, focusing on at least the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. But some some quick review and, and just to, to frame up how we're transitioning into that, we we had Ron preaching Psalm 23 last Sunday. Before that, we had three sermons about the Word of God. And that was really taken from the Old Testament. We talked about setting our hearts in the Word, delighting in the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God. And we're, we're kind of going to continue that theme into this first sermon about the book of Ephesians. So we're transitioning from the Word of God to Ephesians, and we want to talk about why this book is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Some things about Ephesians. And, and as we talk about these things, our amen should get a little louder because they're pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Ephesians has been called the Queen of the Epistles. That's a big title. It's been called a few more things. The Quintessence of Paulinism, which is Paul. The Quintessence. Wow, that's a great word, right? The Divinest Composition of Man. Wow. wow. Amen, right? Amen. The, the Waterloo of commentaries, because Ephesians comments on the other epistles, but it also adds to the other epistles. I feel like a man probably wrote that one who really liked Waterloo. <laughs> That's just my guess, stereotype, shortcut in my brain, gets me in trouble. Some say Ephesians reads like that commentary of the Pauline epistles. Others, another title is The Crown of Paulinism. Here's a quote I read the other week that pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. Wow. Like move aside Hamlet, move aside U.S. Constitution, Book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Summarizes and adds to Here's what Paul gets at here. While it's not responding to any specific false teacher or false teaching, Paul speaks about universal truths and promises for us as the church, one another together, and truths about Jesus Christ, the cosmic Christ, as it's said throughout Ephesians. Universal truths come to light here. It's because of that, It's a deep dive into Jesus, not just the shallows of Christianity. It's where we get that phrase to open the eyes of our hearts into what Paul is saying here. And that's what we want to do this morning. You know, as we start reading through it, I'm going to summarize chapter one quickly here by way of long introduction. There's multiple superlatives that come up. And Paul writes so passionately, uh, it's verses 3 through 14. You look back at the original language, there's no period in there. It's this long, run-on sentence. It's explosive. It's it's just superlative dynamite coming out. And then chapter 2, he starts with a a half sentence. He starts writing the sentence, and then he goes on to something else, and then he comes back to it. And we can take a lot from that. It's explosive. It's kind of like we were at Costco the other day with Sersha. And uh, she had a whole new experience because I walked up to the big screen TV in Costco. And it's got the millions of pixels and colors and the volume turned up. And 
She like clenches onto me tighter and she's just <laughs> awestruck by this thing. That's what reading Ephesians is like. It's like putting on the 3D glasses to God's grace. And that's what it's like for Paul writing so passionately. You hear there's multiple prayers throughout the book. He goes to his knees and worship throughout the book. Thinking about the saints in Ephesus throughout Asia Minor and you and I today. So summary of chapter one. Here's a few things that Paul exclaims. Verse 6, it's not just the grace of God, but it's the grace freely given to us. The glorious grace of God. Grace with which he graced us. Verse 7, it's, it's not just the wealth of his grace, not just grace alone, but the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, it, we have this beautiful word, lavished. The grace by which, that he is lavishing upon us. In verse 9, it's, it's not just the purposes of Christ or the will of Christ, but it's the good pleasure of his will. Verse 18, it's not just an inheritance that we're getting here, but it's the riches of a glorious inheritance. It's so much that he's adding on to these words, riches of a glorious inheritance. Verse 19, it is not just power that Paul speaks about, but it's an incomparable, surpassingly great power. And it's not just a strength that's a truth he's writing about, but it is a mighty strength. Verse 21, the name of Jesus and a truth about him. Well, it's a name that is far above every name, not just a name. All rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given to a rule and authority, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And he placed all things under Jesus' feet, not just some things, but all things. Verse 22, he appointed Jesus the head of the body, the church, head over everything in the church. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Those are some big statements, amen? Mm-hmm. That gives us a view of the forest of chapter one. Everything that Paul's about to explode into, these truths that are true for you and I today, the grace that God wants to lavish upon us. We're going to look closely today, back in verse 1, and we're actually looking at the very first word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints you are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. During midweek, we talked about what the city of Ephesus was like, and we went to the word of God to fact check that. We we talked about how it says here, to the saints who are in Ephesus, but it's actually written to the saints all over Asia Minor. It was a circular letter. So today we're, we're talking about Paul, we're talking about the author, the speaker of this letter. Who is it who's writing this letter? Why should that bear authority? Why should we care about this guy's opinion, and is it only his opinion? Well, yes, it was written by Paul to church in Ephesus in Asia Minor in the first century. There are truths in here that apply to the saints in Bend, Oregon in 2021. And I want to talk about that because we can sometimes doubt that. Maybe his grace isn't really lavished upon me. Maybe this guy Paul 
Did it mean everything that he's saying? And we got to be careful when we have those doubts. So we're, so we're answering some practical questions as we dive into the authorship of this book today. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what happens when we experience a doubt with the Word of God. Or if you hear something from the pulpit, something I say, or something just from the Christian community, a person on your right and your left, they say something that's a little fuzzy, a little fishy, or causes you to doubt. How can you have a healthy, faith-building response to that that can lead you back to Jesus? Amen. That's a practical Amen. answer. Another one, hey, what happens when there's an erasure or a speculation about what Paul is saying? Taking away or adding to God's commands. We get in trouble either way. Mm -hmm. So how can we avoid that as we research the scriptures? As we admonish and encourage one another. That's what we want to answer today, talking about this character, Paul. He's the author. He, he'll actually introduce himself this way 13 times throughout the epistles. It just starts out, Paul, here's who I am, and I'm writing to you. Now, who here has heard about this guy used to be called Saul? A few in the front, one in the back. <laughs> Who here has, has heard how he was um, called Saul, but then Jesus met him and transformed him and gave him a new name, so Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> We're going to talk about that today, and what does the Word of God actually say? So the Word of God doesn't actually say Jesus Christ renamed him Paul. But little Joey growing up in church, he heard that a lot. So picture little Joey here. <laughs> and uh, he, he's told that, oh yeah, picture search essentially. <laughs> Minus the dress. I carried a baby doll around, but. But hearing that, right, my Christian community, and then learning one day, hey, that's not actually in the Word of God. So that can give me some doubt. I'm like, hey, I heard my Sunday school teacher tell me that with confidence and explain that. And I had to be so careful, little Joey, not to start pulling on that thread and my doubt leading to more doubt and just going to a place of isolation before, wouldn't you know it, I pulled apart the entire sweater and it's just a ball of yarn on the floor. I had to be careful not to do that. I had to process it with community with, hey, mom and dad, does the word of God actually say this when we experience those doubts? So let's talk about who Paul actually was. Amen? Amen? There is a movement today that tries to erase Paul. And we don't need to talk about every false teaching out there and every false teacher and ID, every single one of them. We, we're just going to talk about the truth of God and what it says. Amen. So then you can be equipped today to go out and say, hey, this is actually what the Bible says about Paul. Mm -hmm. And this is what I can stand on confidently. And then you can discern for yourself what is true and what is false mm -hmm. when you see something fuzzy out there? Amen? Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to be preaching a lot of Bible. Amen? Do we, we like the Bible? But it's because of that. You can also say not just Joey said this or that and that's why, but the Word of God said this and that's why. Yeah. When we, so what happens when we begin to doubt these things in Ephesians? You know, we put a question mark there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that as well. What does it mean for him to be an apostle? And right here's the, really the, 
the quintessence of Paulinism. Well, this is very quintessential as well. Acts 13, 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul. Saul is Paul. <laughs> Both names refer to him. Was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the fact right there. And Acts 13 is the sin just about to set out for the Gentiles on his first missionary, or his first missions trip as a missionary to the Gentiles. So there's a few facts as we walk through the book of Acts. You can just observe when was Saul used, when was Paul used. Jesus addresses him as Saul. In Acts 9.4, he appears to him on the road when he's traveling to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The, the Holy Spirit refers to him as Saul in the book of Acts. Ananias, then, after Saul is converted, Ananias, who helps get him baptized, he refers to him as Saul. Still, still going on with Saul here throughout the book of Acts. After his conversion experience, then, he's actually called Saul 11 more times. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just a, all of a sudden he's Paul when he meets Jesus. This is really the decisive shift right here. If there's anyone who renames him Saul to Paul, it's author Luke in Acts. He starts calling him Paul from here forward. And the majority of the time then, he's referenced as Paul, going to the Gentiles from here forward. Now remember that Saul-Paul thing? We're, we're going to return to that. That's my, that's my example of how we can hear something that's not necessarily in the Bible and how we can experience doubt. We'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. Now here's who, who Paul was. He really, and I really want to get into this today because he doesn't give uh, an autobiography in the book of Ephesians, really. But he does in other books. So here in Acts 22, 3, 5, we read this. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, and as all of you are this day. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and, and uncondemned? This is when Paul is on trial, and we learn two things. He's a Jew, but also a Roman. You can be confident of that truth about Paul. And here's what scholars actually say about the Paul and Saul thing. Saul is a very Jewish name, right? There's a Jewish king named Saul. Well, Paul would be more of a Roman name. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense as he's going to the Gentiles to start referring to himself as Paul more. At the feet of Gamaliel, Paul was a Pharisee. He, he studied with Pharisees. He had a great education. They, they all confirmed this guy knows his stuff when he was with the Pharisees. Now we're going to just rapid fire. Like I said, Ephesians doesn't give a great biography, but three great biographies come out of Philippians and Galatians, and we'll hit one more in Acts as well. So really quick rapid fire here. Here's who Paul was and who he became. And here's why you can trust this guy who wrote the book of Ephesians. It says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What does that tell us about Paul? Well, he's a Hebrew, a, a zealous persecutor of the church and zealous for his traditions. Galatians, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. He changed. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Not only zealous to persecute the church, but zealous for the traditions, Pharisees, Judaism. Last one here. Says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name Jesus of Nazareth. It's the other thing he was zealous about. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Those are really our best, I think, our, our three best biographies that we get of Paul as we read through the New Testament. Amen that Jesus found him. And this is what you can go back to and reference and think about as he's now saying Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus, some of them might be thinking, you used to persecute the saints. But now look at how much you've changed. Look at what Jesus has done in your life. So, okay, he's a, a changed man. We know he knows his stuff from his Jewish background, but what does it mean that he's an apostle? That's a big word. That's a word that bears Wait, really quick definition of an apostle. That's a, more than the other disciples. Jesus pulls aside the 12 and he gives them authority to witness about him. He gives them authority to go out and preach about him. And then later in Acts chapter one, because Judas is no longer there and he died. The other apostles, they elect a new apostle, Matthias. And they say, okay, now he can perform this apostolic ministry as well. So that's great, but by the Holy Spirit, the other apostles, they choose a new apostle. So what happens when Paul comes along and he starts identifying himself to the Ephesians and others as an apostle of Jesus Christ? Do they accept him as one with equal authority? Or is he just a crazy guy with his own opinions and interpretations? Again, what's important here is if we begin to doubt this, I think we can also begin to doubt maybe what Paul said about grace isn't true. Man, maybe I'm still under the law, and it's a little different than what Paul said. No, we want to believe these things and have a confidence in them when Paul says he's an apostle. He'll introduce himself this way over in Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
All right, so he says, hey, he didn't come along like Acts 1, Matthias, and say, hey, appoint me as an apostle. No, he says this happened through Jesus Christ. But when he who had set him apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He didn't immediately go to the other apostles, but he says, hey, God called me by his grace to go and preach to the Gentiles. And in fact, he even set me apart before I was born for this calling. That's Paul's claim. He also has humility. I am the least of the apostles, he'll say in Corinthians, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Here's what he says for some who are questioning his apostleship. Am I not free? Am I, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? I'm, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am an apostle, at least I am. If others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He encountered Jesus. He changed and then he even says this, hey, as he went around all of Asia Minor and started the church in Ephesus itself, he says, you're a seal of my apostleship, this work I'm doing in the Lord. As they spread out and turned the world upside down, he claims again, I am an apostle. So that's what Paul says about himself, right? But what do others say about Paul and his apostleship? Because... Yeah, anybody can write about themselves and say, hey, this is what God told me to tell you, right? We'll talk about that a little more. We're going to go over to Peter soon, but a little more in Galatians. So it's on the contrary. This is Paul writing about meeting the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John. He's been going through the ministry for a while, but now, hey, he, he has the humility to say, is this right what I'm preaching and teaching? Is there any way I can improve? He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas or Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that, was, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. There's, let's bring it a little practical now, a principle there that works for us as well. We come to an opinion of the Bible. We want to know if this opinion is true. We want to confirm it in the word. And we should go to our brothers and sisters to confirm it as well, like Paul did here, going to the pillars of the church. I have an actual photo of this event, extending the right hand of fellowship, at least in principle, my buddy's here. We were just studying the word uh, earlier this week. I think that's extending the right hand of fellowship, but we're studying the word earlier this week, and we were talking about the word of God being Bereans and fact-checking each other. And that's the beauty of what we can do. When we have open Bibles and open minds, 
When the word is our standard, we can talk through doubts and opinions and do that in community. I can say, hey, sis, what do you think about this? I read this in the word or I heard this from the pulpit somewhere. Is that true? We don't have to withdraw or isolate or hold these things in. We want to be doing that right there. I haven't done that handshake before, but some version of that. And I really appreciate guys getting the word with me just like that, correcting me where I need to be corrected, encouraging me, and admonishing me. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians. All right, if Paul's an apostle, if he went to the pillars of the church and they confirmed, they didn't say, hey, stop preaching what you're preaching. Stop telling people you're an apostle. They said, no, keep doing it. Keep going to the Gentiles. Here's why it matters as we read through the book of Ephesians. His words bear authority and weight when Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says in 1 Thessalonians, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Could have made demands, could have made commands as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but chose not to. If anyone thinks, he says, that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. That's a big claim. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And at the end of 2 Thessalonians, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. That's speaking about a Matthew 18 church discipline process of, hey, if this person is denying the words of Christ, the church shouldn't really be associating with them. But Paul says, hey, the commands I give, I give them because Jesus commands them. We want to look for his commands. We want to observe them in that way. Mm -hmm. I love how he even says back there, 1 Corinthians, like, if anyone thinks they're genuinely spiritual, they should confirm this. That's a big claim. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yeah. Amen. I said a while ago we'd get to 2 Peter. Now we're in 2 Peter. So it's not just Paul writing about himself, but here's what Peter says about the writings of Paul. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So the commands of the Lord and the Savior come through the apostles. And then I count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, that can happen in a lot of ways. We might try to take something away from Paul or we might add to it. We might go further than what Paul is saying. We might throw traditions on top of Paul. We can twist it to our own destruction. That's why it's so important to say, what is Paul actually saying? 
What is he referencing? What is he describing? What is he commanding? And this is the Apostle Peter writing about the teachings of Paul. And he admits they're hard to understand. But as disciples of Jesus, we have to seek to understand them. Here's the great thing. Here when it references scripture, it's putting Paul's words, giving them the same authority as Old Testament scripture. And we read that throughout the epistles. They reference the Gospels. Luke references Paul. Paul references, or not Luke. Yeah, Luke does reference Paul. Paul references Luke. Peter references Paul. They all reference each other in Jesus Christ. They all say, hey, this is authoritative scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, if you run into somebody who really, maybe they don't like the Old Testament. This is the last one to share about the authority of Paul's words. Maybe they don't like the Old Testament. Maybe they don't know about this Paul guy, but they say Jesus is pretty cool. I think I should listen to Jesus. Well, when Jesus sent out his apostles, he gave them authority. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And certainly we saw in the first century, they kept Paul's words. They held to them. And they were greatly persecuted. If Paul's an apostle and his words bear weight, what does that mean as we read through the book of Ephesians? He's going to say this in chapter 2. He makes this metaphor. Consequently, you're no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but you're a fellow citizen with God's people. And also, you're members of his household. Here's the metaphor. And here is, in context, the next closest use of the word apostle. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So that's the closest use of Greek apostolos in the immediate context. And Paul's saying, This is a pillar of the church. This is foundational. You don't want to go knocking out a pillar of the church. So we've got to be careful about what we're doubting in Paul's words. I want to believe this as well. Man, to no longer be a foreigner, stranger, but a member of God's household, I want to keep that foundation strong and stand upon that foundation. Reference the prophets, reference the apostles, and say they were proclaiming Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So because of that, bearing weight, as we read through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, all the epistles, they're a foundational authority for us, the church, today. What Paul is writing to all of them. Yes, writing to a certain people in first century AD, we have to take that into account, but also saying universal truths for us today in Bend, Oregon, the faithful in Christ Jesus here today in 2021, as verse 1 says. Who's faithful to Christ Jesus? That's who Paul's writing to in Ephesians. Someone didn't raise over here. (laughs) Back to that Paul Saul example, what's the harm? What's the, you know, that's, that is pretty harmless, right? Okay, so Saul was also called Paul, and it's pretty cool to kind of, you know, say that 
He changed his name to Paul to recognize the great transformation of him going to the Gentiles. What's the harm in that? Well, the harm is sometimes things can add up. When we hear that, and we hear other things taught with authority that aren't coming from the Word of God, and a little Joey or any one of us in this room can be hearing those things, and they all add up, we keep pulling that string, sweater keeps falling apart. It can have that domino effect. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to have that domino effect. We can absolutely have a healthy response, stop it, and say, hey, I saw this in the Word, or you said that, that actually the Word of God says something different. But if we're not careful, if we isolate ourselves, doubt can lead to more doubt, can lead to more doubt to where we're saying, maybe, maybe I shouldn't listen to Paul. Mm. You know, maybe I shouldn't listen to Luke. Maybe I shouldn't listen to John. Maybe parts of the gospel isn't what Jesus actually said. It can have a domino effect. It did for me, or I said, hey, my spiritual mentor, my faith community, they kind of misled me. I had thoughts like that. And what I needed to do to stop that domino effect is I needed to open the Bible with my brothers. Yeah. I need to say, what does the Word of God actually say? I needed to build my faith, to build it up stronger and do that with the Word of God. And you can do that alone, but I highly encourage, admonish and encourage one another with the Word of God. Build up one another's faith so that we don't have a doubt that leads to more doubt. Mm -hmm. We need to be building our faith. Amen? Yeah, amen. amen. Endeavor to read God's Word closely and as faithfully as possible in every area. And be careful to make an application that might be cool and it might be convenient and it might be harmless at first. Be very careful when we make those applications from the Word of God because it can easily undermine somebody's faith when they realize, oh, that wasn't actually in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Gotta be careful when we do that, amen? Yeah. Back to Ephesians 1. Why it's so incredible and so important. And we're going to take it into communion if you want to grab one of our communion cups from back there. When you find something in the Word of God that's fuzzy or doubtful or hears something, you don't need to go through that alone. When you're struggling in your faith, you don't need to go through that alone. You can do that with your brothers and sisters, your family, and the Word of God. Or as Ephesians will later say, he says it's the manifold wisdom of God being revealed in the church. Diversity of opinions that we have here in the church. Diversity of people. People with wisdom. God's wisdom that comes from the Word. We want to be utilizing that. We want to read this letter with the confidence in Paul. A confidence that when he says God has lavished his grace upon us, that it's true. When he says things about the church, we want to believe them. When he says things about God, we want to believe them. Amen? Amen. 
Here's the other thing I love about Ephesians, taking us into communion today. Again, Paul is writing so explosively, so superlatively. He finally comes here towards the end of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. I want to believe that is authoritative and true. <laughs> I want everyone to have that power and strengthening in their inner being. And Paul is so excited about that. Man, he puts his pen down and kneels before the Father right there mid-sentence. This is how Paul is writing this letter of the Ephesians. And this him and his scribe writing the letter of Ephesians. Going to prayer, going to worship, on his knees in awe of God. And as we read through these first three chapters of Ephesians, if we aren't on our knees in worship in awe of God, then Paul's intent of these first three chapters completely has missed our heart. That's what these first three chapters should produce. That's what I want it to produce for all of us, this amazing awe and the power of God, the grace he wants to lavish upon us, the confidence he wants us to have in approaching him. So with that confidence, let's have a word of prayer for what Paul wants to reveal about Jesus Christ. And let's remember our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ for communion today. Father God, we, we look at these words we look at Paul praying to you, worshiping you on his knees in a Roman prison, Lord. As he introduces himself later in the letter, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And God, even though he's a prisoner, he is so explosive in awe of your power and your grace. And God, we want to experience that same heart. We want to put on the same 3D glasses that Paul had about your grace. We want to see it in IMAX the way he sees it in Ephesians, God. Lord, we want to approach you with confidence. Confidence in Paul's word, but also just a confidence to approach you because of your grace that's freely given. Lord, we thank you as we take this communion, the bread representing your body and the juice representing your blood. Thank you for lavishing your grace upon us, Lord. Lord, I pray as we take a moment and then we transition into worship, that we can dwell on your words, your promises for us, your truth for us out of this book of Ephesians. How much you love us and want to lavish that love on us. Your riches and the wealth of your inheritance, God. God, we're so incredibly grateful for that. We're so grateful. Lord, all we can do is go to our knees and worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.